been spending time, at least while I'm in the pulpit, we are really working towards ramping up for uh, a very soon coming time when we're going to talk about the blessing of Abraham. That if you go to Romans chapter 4, just run in there with me for a moment, I'll go there myself. Now, it's very important that you recognize, if you haven't sort of been with us the last little while, where we are in Scripture. Romans is kind of like the book, uh, the, the doctrinal book or the chronological kind of thesis that Paul gave to the Gentiles in Rome to help them to understand what is Christianity. So we start off in Romans chapter 1, God is real. Romans chapter 2, sin is bad. Romans chapter 3, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. And Romans chapter 4 is where he begins now to talk about what is Christianity about. And he starts it off by talking about this fellow Abraham and how Abraham was the, was, did something that empowered him to, to take hold of his rightful position as um, a human being. And he talks about that, if you flip with me over to, if you're there in your scriptures, into verse 13. Um, because sometimes we can become confused as to what is the purpose and what is the end game of Christianity. And when we understand the end game, what are we doing this for? What is the objective? A lot of us would, would probably want, you know, our training would tell us my objective is to get to heaven when I die. And that's certainly going to happen, but that's really not the objective of Christianity. Although that will happen, that's kind of like just a doorway, right? You're just knowing that when you pass from this world, you just go into the next world and you keep going. The plan of God is still the same. But listen here, in verse 13... So, so Paul is accounting for what was Abraham all about? What was his life all about? And it says, for the promise that he would be heir of this world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, that sounds very churchy, but we'll unpack that a bit today. First of all, the important thing to understand is that what Abraham tapped into was his rightful position as heir of this world, or if you go back to Genesis, a possessor of heaven and earth. When God created humankind, God created the earth and then created humankind to take dominion over the earth. And why is that important? It's important because in our culture, uh, over the last couple hundred years, we have turned the equation the other way around and it is going to dramatically affect the way we relate to what's about to come to us in the book of Romans. And the, the way that that is sort of transpired in the soul of a human being, understanding this concept of evolution. What evolution, the basic principle of evolution is that the earth was created somehow or has always existed or whatever, and through the passage of time, there has been this sequence of events that turned out to be, luckily or whatever, through some process, turned out to be a living organism, which then over another billion or so years, turned out to be a human being. Right. Now, the underlying concept of that is that we are children of Mother Nature and Father Time. You add those two people together, and sooner or later, we just sort of popped out. Luckily, we popped out of the mix. 
that mindset tells us that there cannot be any dominion in the life of a human being. That's a silly thing to think. You are simply a, a child of a system. There's no possible way you could exercise dominion over that system. There's no, there's no, it's not, it's not real. And so when we came into this world, inside of our world, which is sort of dominated by the gods of science and math and logic and all of these type of things, we realized the only way we are going to exercise any level of dominion over this natural world is by hard, hard work. You don't have any power over it. It does not listen to you. It doesn't even care about you. Creation is actually against you. The friction system, the gravity system, the toil system, the if you don't work, you don't eat system, all of that is pushing you backwards. The only hope you have is that you're going to figure out through science and math and logic and hard work and strategy and scheming and manipulating and all of these type of things, you're going to figure out a way to make your little life work, keep your head down so nobody sees you doing it, and just try your very best to fight against these terrible forces of this world that are trying to destroy you. Because you are an accident. You're not even supposed to be here. Matter of fact, you're the virus, as Morpheus would say, that's on this, or excuse me, Mr. Anderson would say, you're the problem with this world. That's what the world will tell you. That's what environmentalists will tell you. That's what evolutionists will tell you. That's what scientists will tell you. The problem is that is creating a victim mindset. It is creating in us a powerlessness when it comes to our own life and our own relationship to the world around us. Then, when God comes into our life and God begins to talk to us about some imaginary, whatever, fairy tale of power that you have over your life, your understanding as being a, a, a illegitimate, if you will, child of mother nature and father time, just an accident that happened one day that they lost control of, there's no possible way that makes sense with a world that is so intricately entwined to the will and the desire and the intentionality of a human being. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. How could it be? When we do that, when we adopt that mindset, why, we have that, why this is such an insidious mindset is because it has eliminated the victorious mindset from the heart of a human being. In fact, God created this natural world. He created it intentionally to be a world that would respond to someone who had his nature, God's nature. Heaven was created that way. Earth was created that way. It's like your computer. Your computer is designed to work by receiving commands from a mouse and a keyboard. It's been designed to work that way. If you have a desktop computer, let's say, at your home, and you don't have a mouse and a, and a keyboard, that computer can't do anything. It has been made to be subservient, the servant of 
the mouse and the keyboard or whoever is operating the mouse and the keyboard. This natural world was created exactly the same way. It was created intentionally to be the servant of those people who operated, or not let's not say those people yet, that it was created to serve the, 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 the nature of God. So his way of doing things, he created heaven and earth that would respond to the binary code, if you, if you want to use my, my computer example, to respond to the binary code that is coming from the keyboard and the mouse. It's not this, we're not aliens, accidental aliens in this natural world. We're in fact those who have dominion over it. Just like you have dominion over your computer by using the keyboard and the mouse. You tell it what to do on the screen, you tell it what words to type, you tell it what emails to send, you tell it everything. It doesn't do anything other than what your mouse and keyboard tell it to do. We have to understand that our mentality now that towards the natural world around us is going to be completely upside down. We try to take dominion, your brain is telling you it can't work like that. And instead, we have become prisoners in North America, as you're going to find out in a minute. We have become prisoners to this system of science and math and logic. And that system causes us to fail at the very beginning of the process of being able to believe God or step into the manifestation of the promises of God. And let's watch how that all happens as we, as we just take a moment here. So go to verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This is referring now to Abraham's season. If you're not familiar with where we are in scripture, Paul is recounting how did Abraham take control over the world around him and then, which is really what this is about. Doesn't really, it isn't really talking about this have a baby Isaac. It's really talking about how he became the heir of this world, or he became the little G God having dominion, operating the same way God is operating in heaven, his own nature, the way God does things. He's adopted that way of doing things. Because he's adopted that way of doing things, now he's using the mouse and the keyboard, and the computer is responding to him to do the things that he wanted it to do. By the time you get to the end of Abraham's life, no matter what had happened, no matter what came against him, no matter what problems came up, no matter, you know, the, the kings are coming against him, the shepherds are coming against him, the world is coming against him, the, the issues are everywhere, Abraham manifested the blessing of God continually throughout his life. The world did what Abraham needed it to do. What Paul is talking about here now, how did he do it? What is the mental process? What is the life process that causes you to go from being a victim of this world? My beliefs are based on the facts of my life to a victor in my world. My, my, the, the, the beliefs that I have produce the facts rather than my, the facts produce the beliefs, which makes me a victim of the facts. Instead, I see that the world is actually exactly the opposite. My belief system produces the facts in my life. Once I can do that, I have now seized control 
of my ability as a child of God operating in this natural world the way God operates in his world. And the world then is designed to completely mirror the, the desires and, the, and the, information, the, the requests that I give it. That's the important part. So, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God. So, Abraham's standing before God in whom he is believing. So, God, Abraham is believing in God who quickens the dead or makes alive the dead. Uh, and, or in our world, we'd say who causes sickness to go to health, who causes lack to go to abundance, who causes death to become life, who causes hopelessness to become hopefulness, who comes fear to become faith, who hate to become love. God does all that. Yeah. That's his job. Yeah. And everything he does, does that. God doesn't ever go into an environment where there's a pretty rose and the pretty rose dies. Yeah. It never happens. Right. God cannot produce death. He doesn't have the ability to do it. Everywhere he goes, just getting near that little plastic plant that's right here, you'd say, oh, poof, it would bloom. And you'd wonder, how did that happen? Well, that's God. Right? You get, a, you get metal in your body somewhere because something you broke, but just get near enough to God and poof, it'll turn back to metal. Go back to life again. Right? You got disease in your body. You got sickness going on. You just pull that sickness or disease, that virus or decay or whatever it is, get it close enough to God and poof, it'll turn into... Right? You take your empty wallet near God and you look in there in a moment and it'll be full. That's just his nature. When that nature produces this creation, he cannot create a creation that produces death, sickness, lack. He can't do it. He doesn't have the colors in his paint palette to paint a picture with death in it. And so what then God gave the power to human beings to understand what that was, and we started to abuse it, as you'll find out in a moment. Then when you abuse it, we make a way for all of this other stuff as human beings over the eons of time. We've made a way for all these negative things to start happening because God has given dominion of this world to us. All we have to do, this New Testament, simple, simple, simple. Turn to your neighbor and say it's simple. So simple. We just have to understand how the mouse and keyboard work and use the mouse and keyboard the way they were designed to work and do with them out of a sanctified and purified heart the things that God would want us to do as we paint the world around us. Simple. This is not complicated. Okay, so he called it now God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they already were. Verse 18, we've talked about this one. Who ho- now Abraham hoped against hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. Now, we're going to talk now about how did he do it? Abraham went from being a fatherless, nomadic person who had nothing to a father of a multitude, eventually, if only had, you know, it would happen in the future, and Abraham being very rich, having ample protection, having ample supply, having ample ability, having ample everything at the end of the, at the, end of the game. How did he go from one end to that? Does anybody in here want to know? Yes. How did he go from all the way over there, which is where most of us live, to all the way over there. 
it's got to be crazily complicated. Surely we would have figured it out after 8,000 years or whatever it's been, 4,000, 6,000 years, 5,000 years since Abraham was here. Surely we would have figured it out and created a culture that uses, if it's that simple, surely. This is how you do it. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, which was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And he became fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was well able to perform. period. That's what he did. Now consider, consider the first part of it that says, consider not the natural limitations. Okay? Now what happens to us? That's, that's the first phase. Consider not any natural limitations. So a natural limitation is that 1 plus 1 equals 2. How many of you believe 1 plus 1 is 2? Mm -hmm. See, I believe 1 plus 1 is 2, except when it's not. <laughs> and so we have to be able to understand that sometimes 1 plus 1 isn't 2. Right. Sometimes it's something else. But our brains have been hardwired through our science-based, math-based, logic-based world to believe that one plus one is only one thing. So if you are in grade two and you were doing your math and you put one plus one equals pineapples, they told you that was wrong and you failed that test. And you came back tomorrow and you get a little bit more right and you said one plus one equals 47. And they told you again, that was wrong and you failed until you finally decided one plus one is only equals two. It always equals two. It never is anything other than two. And you created for yourself a limitation. Science does that, math does that, and logic does that. There is only one answer. And what that's done to us is it has then, if God has a purpose and a plan for you, and you begin to hope now, this is how Abraham hoped. He has a natural limitation. He's 100 years old. He just got out of the shower, looked in the mirror, and he realized stuff doesn't look quite like it used to look. <laughs> and he realized the days of having kids is now behind me. Once that ability is gone, he knew this because he's, you know, he's just a human like you and I, he gets the process, and he realized once it's gone, it's gone. My days of trying to have children are over. And he had to get beyond, now you think about that in your life, how many things are there in our lives that we would say, that season has passed. There used to be a time when I could make, you know, get a good career, but that's gone. There used to be a time when I could get a good husband, but that's gone. There used to be a time when I could get a this or a that, but that's gone. You can't do that anymore. You used to be able to reach it, but I can't get there from here. And we create 
all these natural limitations just like Abraham does. And we create them at a much earlier age because we realize we're not just one person in a family of six or five or 12 or whatever it was back then. Now we are one person in a sea of billions of people. No possible way you can have any appreciable effect on the world around you. That's just ludicrous to think that. What's gone on in our mind then is that when God comes to us, God is always talking to us about something beyond what we would call today a natural limitation. Not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not cute enough, I'm not rich enough, I don't live long enough, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough people, don't have enough contacts, can't do this, can't do that, this won't happen, that won't happen, never will. We go on and on and on and on and on in our minds because we are so aware of all of our natural limitations. Just like Abraham. Every morning, when Sarah did the P-test, he was aware of his limitations. Every morning, boom, right in the face, boom, right in the face, boom, right in the face. What Abraham had to do, same thing you have to do. You have to get a hold of that boundary that you have created in your life, get out the eraser and rub out the boundary. There is no boundary. There is, say this with me, there is no boundary. Our brains are naturally order themselves in a way that we create boundaries. When we create a boundary, we have a safe zone This is what I can do. And then I live inside of the I can do boundaries. And we're nice and safe, comfortable. There's no threatening. There's no fear. It's my boundaries. The problem is whenever God sees one of those things, he's fixated on it. You know, I used to do this in my house. We had this little candlestick. My, my wife is very particular, if you don't know her yet, Tina. So I knew that there was this little thing that in our kitchen, there's this little half wall, and there would be this, I don't even know what it is now, it was like a candlestick, I think. I used to, every time I would come in the kitchen, I would, I would do this, I would just turn it. And then I'd go into the kitchen, and then Tina would come into the kitchen. I could see her. She was ruffled. She didn't know why she was ruffled yet. And all of a sudden, she would notice it, and she would go back, and she would turn the candlestick. She would be, it would, would, and if I'd say, don't touch it, I can't, I got to touch it. And I'd go over, and I would turn it again. I'd say, Tina, it's really okay like this. You, you all know, right? There, she, there, there could be, you know, Elvis Presley could knock at the door. Tina could not focus on the person at the door until, right? That's how God is about the boundaries. You know why he's like that in your life? Because he knows your life is beyond those boundaries. It's beyond the places of 
limitation that you have created in your life. Now, take it back to what we started on in the beginning. When we come in a North American culture and we have this creation or this evolutionist process, we are then, we are children of the world, not masters of the world. We are servants of this natural world. This natural world is not servants of us. And that's what we have to change. Otherwise, all of these these natural limitations are all of those created by math and science and logic and all of that stuff, which evidently we don't have any control over. It, science controls us. Math controls us. Logic controls us. When we are given into the kingdom now and God is trying to give us back our authority, our, our dominion status in this natural world, we're coming at it from a position that says, that's, not, that's, that's completely illogical. Let me describe to you something that's happening. And can, I, can, we go, can we go geek for a moment? Are y'all going to be okay? Y'all had enough coffee that if I go geek, you're going to stay with me until we get to the end? Okay, so have y'all heard of quantum mechanics, quantum science, all that stuff that's going on right now? There's this test that they did in the quantum mechanics world, and they were trying to figure out whether quantum particles, which are the very smallest particles in the world, like if you go, you know, you go, that the things you see are cells, and then you've got molecules, and then you have atoms, and then you have protons and electrons, and you keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Look, as I understand it, I'm not sure I really understand exactly what I'm talking about yet, but I believe that the quantum mechanics part of it is the study of the electrons. So the very smallest of particles, and what, or of, of things, we don't know what they are yet. And so they're trying to discover whether an electron is, an, is a wave or if it is a particle. This is back when they first started this whole process. And so the way that they did that is they have a gun. I don't necessarily think it looks like this. But the gun would shoot electrons. And they put up a little blockade here and a blockade here with a little gap in the middle. And then they put a wall that would collect any of the electrons. It would make a dent or whatever that means. And so what they found was, is when they did this test, they shot these electrons. Now, if it was a wave, how do you know, what a, you, know, you all know what a sound wave looks like? And so the sound wave would come through like this. Any of them that got through here would start dispersing in a sound wave pattern. And then when it hit the wall, they would hit the wall randomly just all over the place because they're being shot out in a wave pattern. So the first time they did the test, that's how it turned out. And that's what they, they said, okay, it must be a wave. And then they did the test again, but either advertently or inadvertently, this time they had somebody watching to see what was happening, a human. Now you have this human being that, again, we have the gun, it, sh it shoots the electrons, the same, the same, let me make it exactly the same, the same status, and we have this wall here. Now when they had somebody observing this experiment, they're thinking they're going to get the same result. What happened was, instead of having a spray of electron impacts, like here, 
you had all the electrons impacting in exactly the same place, indicating to them that now the electron that used to be operating as a wave is now operating as a particle, a bullet, a single thing. So that's interesting, they're going. Because what the heck difference does a human being watching it have to do with the activity of an electron? So it puzzled them, it does, and, it, it got, and it got worse. If only I had more whiteboard, I could show you the rest of the stuff. No, I'm kidding. So I'm going to have to go over here. Can you, how do you see it? So OK, you understand the process. Now we have this gun. It's shooting. Now they're going to break the experiment into two halves, and this one is going to blow your mind. They do the experiment where the first half of the time that they are shooting electrons, there's nobody observing it. The second half of the time, somebody goes in, whatever this means, and starts to observe it. Now, if you are thinking in your head, what's going to happen to the, to the impact wall of all the electrons? You're going to say, there's going to be a wall that is got sparse, but there's going to be a whole heavy bunch of them right here. These ones being created by the time that it wasn't being observed, and this one being created by the time that it was being observed. That's what you would expect. That's not what happened. What happened was we have those, this wall, and now we have all the electrons. When they found out at the end of the test, all they had was all the electrons still operating as particles. What does that mean? That means that the electrons, these are physical things, natural building blocks, the very basic structure of the world that we live in responded not just to the observation being made by a human being, but by the intention or the expectation that a human being was going to observe it. So when you go back to the beginning of your Bible, and the Bible says, in the beginning, everything was without form and void, tohu vabohu. What was going on here, I believe, is that the whole world was simply quarks, quantum particles, without form and void. They didn't know what they were going to do until God showed up with an intentionality. He showed up with some hope. He showed up with a desire of how all of this natural stuff, which was invisible, right? There's, there's quantum particles flying around you like you cannot imagine right now, but you can't see them. That's how the world would have been, the universe would have been, until God showed up. What God wants you to know and what the quantum theory and all of these, these things that are going on right now to understand what controls the natural world we live in, what you need to understand is that your intentionality, your expectancy is actually shaping what the natural world begins to produce. Not at church not in a philosophical way, not in a, in, a, in a, you know, esoteric way. This is real science that they are discovering that if you will use the intentionality 
and consider not the natural limitations. Natural limitations are simply the boundary that was created by somebody else as they were using their intentionality to go as far as they could go. That doesn't mean and has no reason to be interpreted that that becomes your boundary. We have to realize we're not just getting started at this game. God could wait another 10 billion years before he comes back. We're fixated with this Jesus coming back tomorrow thing. He didn't have to do that. We've got a lot of runway left. We got a lot to do and we got to get beyond this, sit inside and just wait in this little hole until we get to go to heaven when we die. God has dreams and visions. He's got ex- intentionality in you. He's got expectancy. He didn't put that stuff in there because he wanted you to live in misery because you're never going to see it happen in your life. That would, that's torture to a human being. Better I don't know that I can drive a Ferrari that I know that I can drive a Ferrari, but they just won't let me. That's torture to a human being. What God has given us simply the mechanism where we have to roll beyond the, these, these, what we consider hard and fast rules that create boundaries. If we don't get beyond it, then the whole process of building what is real hope, if for me to hope against hope, I have to be able to get my brain beyond the natural boundary. Mm-hmm. Right? When the Lord, the Lord said to us a number of times, he said, you know, give away all, all, all that you have. I'm thinking, God, yeah, that sounds really fun in church, God, but what about tomorrow? Because if you give away all that you have, you don't have anything the next day. I remember we, had, we, were, we were watching, remember the time we were with Creflo? It was at a, a church over in, uh, in the States, and he received an offering at the end, and so it's our custom to pray about what God wants us to give. And so uh, we both prayed. Uh, I got a certain amount of money, and Tina got instruction of the Lord, everything you have. That happened to be the same number. And so then the next day, we're okay. We've, this is, you know, it got, when that check clears, there's, it's zero. The next day, I was with business at the time. The next day, we, opened, we, we, we signed a client that I think was eight times the amount of money that we gave in that offering. It's the story that Mr. T just told you. Mr. T experienced exactly the same thing. That does not make logical sense. You do not do that and expect you're still going to be a, a, a standing tomorrow. I'm not saying go give all the and you, you obey the Lord. Don't obey Ian. Yeah. Right? Don't, oh, Ian did that, so I'm going to do it. No. Yeah. <laughs> obey the Lord right. in, the give, in your giving and your sowing. When we, what we have to be able to do is we have to get beyond all of this way of thinking that says there's natural boundaries in my life. And because I see the boundary, I assume There is nothing on the other side of that boundary except death and destruction. That's not true. When God calls you to move beyond, get he's not saying naturally move beyond yet. This is a problem we have in the kingdom is God says, oh, you mighty man of valor, so I go get a gun. Don't go get a gun. You have to change who you are on the inside first. God wants your, your, your inner reality to change first. Don't just run out on the out to impress Pastor Ian. Don't do that. 
You're, God is talking to you because he wants to change you on the inside. When I'm singing songs that I am a child of God, that God would, you know, there's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no something he won't something up. And all of those, all that stuff that we're singing, we're doing that because we're trying to change the way we think. And when we change the way we think, our perception of the world around us begins to change. Here's the rule that I have, and I'm, I'm not super good at it yet, but it's my rule. That when I perceive a situation in my life, I stop and I say, God, how do you see yeah. that situation? Because yeah. so I'm recognizing my perception, even though I can teach this to you, my perception is still jaded by boundaries of some kind. And what I want to be able to do is I want to be, what's the perspective from somebody who has no boundaries? And when I discuss it with him like that, I'm listening to him show me what the boundary, what it looks, what that scene looks like without the boundaries. Then when I see the scene, my situation, my issue, my crisis, my trauma, my whatever, when I see that from his perspective, I'm removing the boundaries and it's like, oh, that's all that's going on? This is no big deal. This is not a, you know, all I'm going to do is run out of money. That's it. And then God gives me history. Don't worry. I got, are you kidding? As soon as you create a vacuum, this world abhors a vacuum. It going to fill it. And so it, it, he shows me those things. And all of a sudden it's good. I can obey him. I can do the thing. I'm not talking money. It's in every area of life. I can't forgive that person. Yes, you can. You won't, but you can. You can do all of these things. They're not hard boundaries. What you've been given now, and I'm closing here, what you've been given as a child of God, you have been given, you have been created in the image and likeness of God by that nature. You have been given the power to hope against hope to take the boundary of your life and blow it out. You know when you create a boundary for an elephant? When they first have train elephants, they have to put ropes around their ankles and tie them to stumps. When they're older, they can use a thread as small as the thread in your shirt and tie it to a stick, a, a, a popsicle stick. As soon as that elephant feels that just insing of a, of a tug, he stops. As far as he's concerned, There's a chain between him and an oak tree. He cannot break the boundary. If you take a flea and you put a flea into a box, fleas can jump about three three feet tall. I had an apartment one time full of them and I could see them at my little nightlight as you looked across the room. They can jump about that high. I know that for a fact. But if you put them in a shoebox for four days, and they jump and hit their head against the the top of the of the of the the shoebox, take them out of the shoebox, now they can only jump that high. Just short. They'll jump as high as it just about to miss so they don't bang their head. Take, take the lid off, they can't get out of the box now. Animals can't do this. The only being that can hope against hope is a, hu- is a human, Amen. is a made in the image and likeness of God being. Amen. What you can do as you change the boundaries, you consider not the natural limitations of math, 
and science and logic, what you have done is you have empowered yourself in your imagination. Now, one plus one is still two in the natural realm. It doesn't have to be two in your expectation. If you have $100 and you tithe $10, that gives you $90, right? No, it doesn't. It gives you $350,000. If you imagine, you're pretending anyways, folks. Pretend any way you want. Get rid of the natural boundaries in your soul. When you are imagining the world that is to come, then you are allowing yourself to imagine that world beyond any, any issues of physics and science, like watching the roadrunner. You know, he keeps dying, right? But then the next thing, he's back again. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you're doing it. And when you allow that to become part of your mentality, what you're going to do, just like Abraham, is you are empowering yourself with the skill to hope against hope. If you don't do it, then you're, you're, you fail the first level. It doesn't matter what comes after that. You're never going to be able to get beyond this because you're too trapped in your own mind. Put your hand over your heart. Can I do this before you pray so that you could pray? You can. You could pray for them. Um, so every single one of us that's here today are obviously with God that, who lives on the inside of us and super simple if he doesn't and you want him to be Lord is just invite him in. God wants relationship with us more than we want it with him. And so if God lives on the inside of us, yeah. every single one of us would say, absolutely no limits, God, absolutely no limits. And we are so blessed in this house to understand that negative emotion is an indicator of limitation. Yeah. Wherever there's negative emotion, it's the enemy just trying to use those emotions to back us into a corner so that we won't move forward. Mm -hmm. The other thing, though, I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chap chapter 2, you know, when you go, it would demand then that, that we would have to know what, if we're talking about perspective and we're talking about the original, we're talking about limitations, how do we know that we're living in a limit if we don't know how God thinks? And that demands that we, that we live a life in the word of God in his presence because counterfeiters, what they do is they, they study the original in order for them to just see the counterfeit. They just see it. They just see it. They just see it. They just see it. They just notice it because they've spent time studying the original. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, and this is where I, I really feel like I'd like to be able to say, you know, everybody that is not filled with the Holy Spirit, come to the altar because the reality of what the scripture tells us is that you're talking about knowing the mind of God. The mind of God is what reveals to us any limitations, perspective. That's the limitation in our life. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 exhorts us that our faith, our faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but it should be in the power of God. It goes on to say that we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. And it goes on to say that God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God and the, and, and the spirit of, of, man, of the man that is in him. No one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received the spirit who is from God that we might know, that we might know, that we might see the limits that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. <clears throat> These things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but, but 
which the Holy Spirit teaches. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can they be known. And so that's what you're talking about. So I, do, I just feel like, you know, if we're here today and maybe you have received, it, basically what the Scripture is telling us is that Holy Spirit knows the, the limitlessness of God. He knows the limitlessness of the availability of what each and every one of us has. And we have to connect with him. We have to connect with his word. And so I just feel, feel like, you know what, if you just, if you want to come up to the altar, if you have not received the baptism. It, uh, yeah, let me just, let me do it this way. If, if you don't, if you have never received that, uh, for, if, you're, if you've never been born again, if it's never Amen. been a, a decision of yours to Yay. say, you know, Jesus is smarter than me. And I'm going back to the beginning and I'm going to live by his principles rather than the stuff that the world has taught me. Then I'm going to encourage you to make that decision and we'll pray, that, we'll pray just through as a congregation in that area. And then second of all, uh, the key to the New Testament life is the, the paraclete, the come alongside, the support us, help us, guide us into the truth, show us things to come. All of that ministry, which is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Our interaction with the Godhead on this earth, even though we say, I'm talking to Jesus, I'm talking to Father, you're actually interacting with the Holy Spirit. And so there is a learning process of growing in the ability to, to interact this way. And so I'm just going to encourage you, as you all bow our heads for a moment. Please don't feel pre any pressure for this. We don't have to do it in a common way. If you'd like to come up at the end of service as well, uh, we'd love to be able to pray with you. There'll be teams up here that you'll see and they would just love to be able to spend a few moments with you. But in case you can't do that, I don't want you to miss the prophetic instruction for us for today. And so put your hand over your heart and say, Jesus, I know you are the supreme human being. You are Lord. You lived life at 100% of what it means to be a human being. I declare today I want that. I want to be your disciple. I want you to teach me how to live life like you lived it. I declare today anything I believe that is contrary to what you believe is back on the table. Nothing is indisputable in my life if you say it's different. It doesn't matter if I believe one plus one equals two if you say it's different. And now I speak to my soul and I say, soul, from now on, I'm not the boss. From now on, Jesus is the boss. And we're following him, following his truth because we know he's smarter than us he demonstrated he knows how to live life better than we know. So we're going to go back to the beginning. Everything is on the table. We're going to allow Jesus to change what we believe. And in order to do that, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. God said, his desire was to live in earthen vessels. My doors open. I welcome you in. You are now my partner. 
You're going to lead me into the truth. You're going to show me things to come. You're going to be my comforter. You're going to be my helper. You and I are going to be best friends from now on. And I allow you to remove every natural limitation between me and my destiny. I declare impossible is nothing. It's just a place I've never been before. Holy Spirit, I trust you. Take me into the realm that moves me towards the life God has for me, toward my destiny, toward the kingdom of God manifested in my life and my world. Holy Spirit, you're going to guide me. And I trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if that, let me encourage you, if that's the first time, part of the process as we read in scripture is that if you prayed that for the first time or you know you really felt this was a time it took it's very important that you have you, you give us a moment to lay hands on you before you go yes. that's a it's a very impartational gift as we see in scriptures and so just take a few moments with us or one of the prayer teams here after at the end of service and just let us just agree with you and cement that as whole in your life Amen. part of what pastor tina was talking about in that scripture was actually the ability that the holy spirit gives you to what we call pray in tongues. That is the Holy Spirit praying through your life. When the first thing the Holy Spirit wanted to do when he got here in the, the beginning of the book of Acts, the first thing he wanted, well, first he put the fire on top of people's heads, you know, cool demonstration. Yes. And then he wanted to start praying through the mouth of a human being. He wanted to start this process, even though nobody had been transformed yet, he wanted to start the process going where the words of God were being released out of the mouth of a human being, transforming the future. Amen. Doesn't matter where you are in the process of what we're talking about. As you begin to allow God to use your tongue and to pray out his will for your life, the process of your future is starting to change. Amen. And so you want to have that operational in your life. I'm doing a study right now. I have discovered, at least in my personal study, half an hour of tongues equals four days of the manifestation of whatever I was praying when I was there. The spiritual strength of half an hour, now it might be different in your life, but I'm trying to figure this out in my life right now, that I can feel the spiritual strength created by half an hour of tongues for four days. Very good. So if I'm being tormented or something like that's going on, pray for half hour, I don't feel the torment come back until four days later. That's how powerful half an hour of tongues is, is in your life. And so I'm encouraging you, step into that so that you can feel the battery charging process of praying in the Holy Spirit. Amen. And there's going to be people up here.